Hello, everyone. This is Katie. Thank you for tuning in to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. I am so thankful and grateful that all of you have chosen to listen to Health Formation today. I hope that we can teach you a little something that you did not know before you listened to this episode. So today I have a very exciting episode. I had a conversation with Dr. Judy Brangman. Dr. Brangman is an internal medicine physician at a hospital in the Triangle area. And I actually found her contact information on a website called plantbaseddoctors.org. And this is a website where you can go to look for plant-based clinicians in your area. They have a list of every different type of clinician you can imagine from nutritionists to acupuncturists, even podiatrists on there. So if you are looking for a more lifestyle medicine focused practitioner or even someone who focuses solely on plant-based medicine, you can put in your zip code and it will pull up a list of different practitioners in your area. So I actually found Dr. Bringman on there and then started looking at some of her social media. Um, And I really just think that everything that she talks about on her social media echoes a lot of what I try to do in my practice. So I wanted to interview her and talk to her a little bit more about how she integrates in holistic and lifestyle medicine into her practice. So she's a hospitalist, so she focuses on patients in an inpatient setting and that's a lot different than obviously what I do um, because my patients are all ambulatory and coming in to see me in an outpatient setting. So it's very interesting how you can have a similar message and a similar lifestyle focus in two completely different settings. So I hope that you really enjoy the conversation that I had today with Dr. Brangman. And thank you again for tuning into Health Formation. Please subscribe to Health Formation on your favorite podcast app and check us out on Facebook. We also have a Twitter now. If you tweet, um, we are at Health Form Pod. So follow us on there. And let's get over to our episode today with Dr. Brangman. Well, thank you for agreeing to do this. I'm really excited to chat with you a little bit more. So welcome to Health Formation, Dr. Brangman. Um, thank you for joining us today. I know that we've both had long days at work, so it'll be a fun conversation. I actually found you on plant-based doctors, so I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your journey with plant-based medicine and how that affects impacts you. Um, To start out, do you want to tell me a little bit about how you got into medicine and a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be on. And um, yeah, so my story, I kind of have a non-traditional role to medicine. I actually worked as a medical technologist um, as a med tech and did phlebotomy for a couple of years after undergrad. And then I kind of started to feel like I needed something more challenging, something different. And I really felt that medicine was a calling. So I really felt like that was what I was supposed to do, to be quite honest. And uh, I, I don't have any other way to explain it but that. And so I um, did the MCAT and applied to medical schools and um, and enrolled. My mother is a nurse, so that really was the only, that was the exposure that I had to healthcare. And I've always been interested in the sciences and just fascinated with um, science and the human body and everything like that. But my journey through medicine and residency was typical, you know, medical school, internal medicine residency, 
and started working as a hospitalist. And then it was during that time when I um, started to learn more about plant-based nutrition from a colleague of mine. And I started to go to conferences, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I went to that conference in 2014. I think it was the first year that I went. And that's when I really started to delve into the science, the research, and really start to learn about um, the evidence supporting plant-based diets. And I was just blown away that this is not something that doesn't have any data. And it's not something that's new. There's scientific data that's been out there for years. So I was just fascinated and excited by that. So So when you were in medical school, did you learn a lot about nutrition or lifestyle medicine in your curriculum? No, we learn mostly, as you know, traditional Western allopathic medicine is about disease, treating diseases, managing diseases, primarily with medications, procedures. They talk about the fact that you should discuss diet with patients. So diabetic diet and the um, DASH diet, which they would say, but they don't really go into much detail about what that is. But I've always been kind of a person that's been into natural therapies, has always been into food, just the upbringing that I've had with my parents. And I grew up in Bermuda, so they're very open to um, natural and herbal remedies. So it's always been a kind of a part of who I am. That's awesome. You must have had some great food options in Bermuda, a lot different than here, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, other things are changing, but traditionally we don't we don't eat fried food like it's different now because American food has pretty much traveled all over the world. But I remember when I first came to the U.S. and I was thinking about, um, you know, to us, fast food or fried food wasn't considered food. Like we wanted something that was like cooked, you know, like baked something, not like fried. Right. Well, fast food really isn't food. It's just (laughs) processed junk. (laughs) Did you learn, just out of curiosity, so our, the medical director at the clinic where I work is a bariatrician, so he has a whole obesity medicine curriculum that our students learn at Campbell. So I'm just wondering if you had exposure to any obesity medicine where you went to medical school. Medical school just gives you kind of an overview. And then after that, you have to do a specialty, you know, residency and then a fellowship. So obesity medicine is a fellowship now right. that you can do. And I actually looked into getting the obesity medicine fellowship, but I ended up not doing it because it still was very pharmaceutical heavy and procedural heavy. So it still was the traditional medicine. It really didn't advocate for plant-based nutrition. It advocated for the high protein. High protein, yeah, low high carb. High protein diet, yeah, low carb and ketogenic diet. That's what they advocate for. And um, the medication. So I practice weight management with my patients when I when I was in primary care. I've prescribed those medications before, but I'm a firm believer that eating more fruits and vegetables is the key to helping to lose weight and then also keep it off. Because a lot of times with these medications and even the procedures, sometimes because you haven't learned better habits, the right. weight comes on after you stop taking the medication or after you stop taking the the procedure. And there's no side effect to eating salad. So I'd rather give someone vegetable option 
rather than a pill or a procedure that has known side effects and potentially could have a complication. Um, so you went into, you originally went into primary care. Was that straight out of your residency that you went into primary care? Or did you do um, hospital medicine first? Yes. Yeah, so I did hospital medicine first. Okay. And then I um, decided that I wanted to spend more time working with patients to help them to change their lifestyle and to be healthier. So I said, let me try clinic and see what primary care is like. And I did that very briefly. I was in the in that job for about a year um, before I transitioned back to hospital work. And the only reason was because I was, it felt like a little bit of a mismatch. I was trying to talk to patients about lifestyle and diet who weren't interested. So I found that the general person that comes to a regular primary care clinic, they're coming for the six month checkup just to refill the blood pressure medicine. When you start talking about diet, it kind of throws them off a little bit because that wasn't what they came there for or what they wasn't expecting. Huh. So I do have a few patients that were interested and actually like diabetic patients that did, you know, eat healthier and had some good results. But most people really just wanted to take a medicine at that particular uh, clinic. That is true. Most people want a quick fix. Yeah. And it's hard to change habits. Um, so you said that you had grown up eating pretty healthy in Bermuda, your parents always cooked healthy for you. But when did you transition over to fully plant-based? I transitioned very slowly. A lot of people ask, well, how do I transition? They feel overwhelmed, like it's something so difficult and challenging, but you don't have to go cold turkey with it. I did it over several years, actually, and I was very resistant at first because to me, it seemed like being vegan was so difficult. and I couldn't eat this. I couldn't eat that. I couldn't go out. I had to cook. How am I going to cook without, how am I going to bake without eggs? How am I going to cook, you know, without cheese? And cheese is like the favorite thing that I like to eat. Every dish I liked had cheese in it. So I was very resistant. So I totally understand that. But I would stay, I gradually cut back on the amount of animal products that I consumed. So whatever animal products are, meat, dairy, cheese, eggs, all the same in my mind. So I just gradually cut back. And then I would say one day, you know, I really wasn't feeling like I craved those things anymore. And I was liking the way I was feeling with the new diet. And so at that point, I really had no need to go back because I, every time I would try to go back, the same, you know, symptoms like acid reflux I used to have or the acne and the allergies will come back, even with just eating a little piece of something. That's why I don't recommend the word moderation. I don't think you should eat something in moderation. Like, you wouldn't drink poison in moderation. So <laughs> you should eat unhealthy food in moderation. So um, now my motivation is the way that I feel and the way that I look eating this way. So it just keeps me motivated. That's awesome. I did the same thing. I slowly transitioned over. I'm not perfect but I'm dominant, I plant dominant, I would say. A lot of people do ask, I think that's the biggest question or one of the biggest questions that I get is if you're interested in a more plant-based diet, how do you start um, or tr- how do you transition over? And I mean, for my patients, my goal is to eat a vegetable every day when we start out. Um, so is that, what do you, how do you transition your patients over? Yeah, so I always start by asking how many fruits and vegetables do people eat in, the, eat in a day? And across the board, I am amazed at how many people 
don't eat nearly enough fruits and vegetables. Actually, I have yet to meet someone that eats at least four or more in a whole day. Most people don't eat any or yep. one or two servings yep. in a whole day. And so I actually encourage everybody to make sure that at least half of the food on the plate is fruits and vegetables. And the other half, I don't even really address it because it's just, you know, a 10-minute visit, 15-minute hospital thing. You don't have a lot of time. So that's really where most of my time is spent. Just make sure that at least half the food on your plate is fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when I ask people how many vegetables they eat, nine times out of 10, my patients are going to be like, I like salad. And I'm like, do you realize how many other vegetables and fruits exist on the planet besides lettuce? Like, it's not just salad. It's funny to me. Yeah. And I tell people that, you know, you need to change the way you view your plate. Most people think of meat as being the main course or the entree. If it doesn't have meat, they feel like it's not a meal. But the way it should be is that the vegetables should be the star of your plate. And it's not a meat if it doesn't have any vegetables in it. That's how I feel. So if I go out to eat somewhere, like a lot of times restaurants don't have enough vegetables or any. So I don't really, to me, if a meal doesn't have vegetables in it, it's not a meal. So I feel obligated when I come home to eat a salad or get a smoothie or eat something. Or before I go to people's house to eat, because I know they're not going to have vegetables, I would usually eat vegetables first and then go. So if people change their mind around the way they view their plate, I think that's kind of a start. I agree with that. Um, and so earlier, too, you had mentioned that in the bari- um, bariatric curriculum, they talk a lot about keto. So I was just wondering what are you, what your thoughts are on ketogenic diet. Yeah, so that seems to be all the rave now, ketogenic yes. diet. Everyone and I've, yeah, I've been... Um, in some conversations regarding that. So the animal-based keto diet, there's also a plant-based keto. Um, mm-hmm. But first, let me mention about the animal-based one. There's no long-term data on that yet. And the data that's out there doesn't really support it as far as overall health. You will lose weight on a ketogenic diet. So it does accomplish that goal. However, the issue is the other effects of consuming a high-protein, high-fat, high-cholesterol diet effects on the cardiovascular health. So that's an issue. And then also, depending on how the person does it, they may not be getting enough fiber on the plant-based ketogenic diet. Typically, they're not. And so that's my other issue with it, too, um, being that constipation and uh, GI issues is one of the most common chief complaints of, you know, primary care. So I definitely do not recommend um, animal-based keto diet. Now, the vegan keto diet, which is the new thing, and I know a few people that have tried it recently and actually have lost weight with it and have felt really good on it. It does take a lot of discipline and you can still get, you know, your good amount of fiber and whatnot. But again, there's not much data on that, if any, at all, but you will lose weight if that's your goal. So it's something that's definitely worth looking into. So I think there needs to be more data on it. I don't know what how do I you, feel like I think think? about keto in general or vegan well, keto. Vegan keto, yeah. 
I just imagine drinking olive oil. Like when I think of vegan keto, that's all I think of is like eating avocados and drinking olive oil. Like what else? I feel like everything, a lot of the foods are so low fat. It's so hard. It would be so hard to get 90% of your calories from fat if you're only eating plants. Don't you think? They eat. They eat. No, they don't eat a lot of olive oil necessarily, but yeah. Avocado, nuts. um, Nuts, seeds, avocados, oil. That's like all, right? I think what else my friend eats, because I have a friend that's doing it now. She does eat salads, but I know it's limited on the fruits. Right, because of the carbs, true. Yeah, and she's doing it short term, so we'll see. I just think, too, um, for people that do regular keto, I haven't had anyone that's done the vegan keto, They yes, you lose the weight while you're on the diet, but it's so hard to maintain because you don't change your lifestyle in a way that's sustainable the majority of the time. You can't eat – for most people, you can't eat keto for the rest of your life. Like, it's too difficult. Yeah, I don't think anybody should be eating keto long term. I think a month or two at the most. Right. So then you're going to gain the weight back because you'll just go back to your old way of eating. That's, I mean, that's what I find a lot of times. So in addition to internal medicine, you're also board certified in lifestyle medicine. So can you tell us a little bit more about the components of what the lifestyle medicine entails in addition to um, physical activity and nutrition? Sure. So lifestyle medicine it also involves stress reduction and getting adequate sleep. So seven to eight hours a night, it focuses on techniques for improving quality of sleep and also focuses on sustaining healthy relationships as well as avoiding toxic and harmful substances such as alcohol, minimizing, um, avoiding tobacco and drug use. I think healthy sleep is something that we a lot of people overlook. Do you find that a lot of your patients are sleeping enough, seven to eight hours? So many people have insomnia. So many people have insomnia. And people in society think that sleep is not necessary. There's this idea that if you get less than seven hours sleep, you're you're tough. Or no. you know, I don't need seven, eight hours sleep as what people say about sleep is so important. It's actually even important in weight loss. That's what we've learned too, that if yes. you're having problems losing weight, getting adequate sleep could be potentially key because sleep helps to regulate your um, hunger, hunger hormones and whatnot. Yes. And so part of the board certification, we also learned about techniques for getting good quality sleep, which I didn't know any of this. It was fascinating. And so much information out there about sleep as far as sleep onset, you know, people that struggle getting to sleep and then people that have problems with sleep maintenance. So they wake up early during the night. And a part of it is related to food, the timing of the food, the carbohydrate content, um, a lot of different things. Right. And the, it doesn't help too that we're always tied to our devices with all the blue light yeah. stimulating the brain as well. So what about the, the top, Toxicants. I get you mentioned alcohol and smoking. Are there any other um, like chemicals or things that you find people encounter a lot that we should try to avoid? Um, It always makes me think of like pesticides and things on sprayed on fruits and vegetables when I think of toxicants. But I know there's a million other ones. Yeah. So I think of um, I try and buy organic 
whenever possible or as yeah as much as possible and then a good list for people who can't buy everything organic is the dirty dozen or the clean 15 by dr gregor it talks about which fruits and vegetables you absolutely should buy organic and then also it's better to buy things that are grown you know like go to a farmer's market and get things as opposed to the grocery store because of the way that they transport food and they pick it too early, um, it's just better to buy something locally. Generally speaking, most physicians that I know would agree that if you're eating vegetables and fruits, whereas before you wasn't, right. even if they're not organic, you're still going to get benefit. Right. I would not put too, pre- too much pressure on people to feel like they have to buy organic or even that they have to buy fresh because frozen vegetables still have some benefit. Yeah. But I don't have frozen vegetables. I buy everything fresh, but that's because I can and because I cook. But for someone who's a beginner, if the best that you can do right now is can or frozen, then go with that because that's better than eating fried chicken. Yep. Yes, I tell people fresh first, and if you can't do fresh, then get frozen. And you can get a bag of frozen vegetables on sale for like a dollar at the grocery store. Yeah, so that's cheap very good option. Um, and also we are so lucky to live by like the best farmer's market ever. So if you live in the Raleigh area, you should be going to the Raleigh farmer's market all the time because it's amazing. Huge. Also minimizing toxins in your house. So deodorant is one thing, you know, the aluminum in deodorant is really not helpful. So using a natural deodorant is going to be better. And just as much as possible, try and use natural things. And that's what I do in my house. I use natural cleaning agents, cosmetics. So that's what I recommend. I agree. Yeah, I switched over to natural cleaning products as well. And I can't, you can't even, they work just as good. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be careful too with like labeling now because a lot of things are labeled that they're more natural or that they don't have chemicals in them, but they still do. So you have to be really careful and use research when you're trying to figure out because brands are smart and they know what to put on a label to make people buy it, even though it may not be any better than the traditional chemical laden product. So one other question that I wanted to touch on that you talked about earlier was related to constipation um, and gut health. So can you talk a little bit about the benefit of a plant-based diet for gut health overall and fiber too, just because I love talking about fiber? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny because I posted to Instagram and Twitter recently about fiber and um, that post kind of like blew up. Basically, you know, we we need to be stopped. We need to stop being so obsessed about sugar and carbohydrates and more concerned about fiber or something like that because people are so afraid of carbohydrates. Right. They don't realize exactly what carbohydrates are. When they think of carbohydrates, they really mean sugar, sugar, like processed sugar, processed and like pasta and bread. They don't even know that fruits and vegetables and beans are high in carbohydrates. So it annoys me when people even talk about carbohydrates and they're using the term incorrectly. But fiber is really important because most people are not getting enough of it. And fiber is important for um, gut health, the microbiome, and prebiotics as well, which can help feed the good gut bacteria. So most people kind of in the plant-based world, including the, you know, GI plant-based doctors that I know, would say that you don't even need a probiotic if you're following a fully 
whole food plant-based diet because the food that you're getting is going to be nourishing your gut. And nowadays, it just is exciting to me that everyone's talking about the gut because there was no conversation about this when I was in residency. And so the gut definitely is important. And feeding it nutritious, wholesome, whole food, plant-based foods is the way that you keep your gut healthy and keep your microbiome healthy. Do you have a goal for how many grams of fiber that you recommend per day for people or just tell them to eat as much as they can? Yes. uh, So I recommend at least 30 grams a day. Most guidelines say at least 30, but I even think that more than that is what people should be getting. But at least 30 is like the minimum. Yeah. Most people on a plant-based diet can easily get 50. I know one person that said she was getting 90. Now. What I see a lot actually either in the hospital or clinic is abdominal pain, which turns out is constipation quite often, but most people don't realize that they think it's something else that's going on. But because I talk to all of my patients about diet and because I'm into this nutrition, I'm always able to kind of figure out pretty quickly. I just go straight to how often do you have a bowel movement? How many fruits and vegetables do you eat in a day? And I'm just like, you're constipated is what I'm thinking in my head. But you sometimes still have to do all of the testing, you know, like imaging sometimes if it's needed. And then I would just talk to them about fiber. And most people don't even know where fiber comes from. I tell mm-hmm. them that foods are the only source of fiber. You don't get it from meat and, meat and dairy. Right. And actually dairy is constipating. And a lot of people, at least I think the latest statistic is like 80% of the population is lactose intolerant. Uh We're not meant to eat the milk of another mammal. And we don't even drink the milk of, you know, our own species past infanthood. So why are we drinking a cow's? That's true. (laughs) Um, So do you find a lot of patients with IBS as well? I do see a fair number. I won't say a lot, but more I do know, yeah, I do know, you know, GI doctors that see a large portion of those patients. And in most times with adjustments of their diet, they're able to have marked improvements in their symptoms. Well, I think that IBS is really interesting because of the whole gut brain connection, because IBS has such a mental health component as well. And healing your gut and healing your brain, it's like which came first, the chicken or the egg, but it's all controlled by the gut. And people don't realize how much serotonin is modulated by what you eat. And I think that that's just really interesting as well. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you have any opinions on like elimination diets or low FODMAP diets that are um, popular with IBS? Yes, I actually have done some functional medicine training and they are big on the low FODMAP and elimination diet. I just did a module on GI. Okay. And they were talking about that. So the elimination diet does have some good features to it, but I think they kind of do everything at the same time. Whereas you don't know what is actually helping. So they also recommend to eliminate soy and wheat, which I don't recommend for everyone to eliminate those things but they also recommend to eliminate dairy which is good right there's a few other things that they eliminate as well 
But they've had good results with their patients with IBS, eliminating all of those things and then potentially slowly reintroducing one at a time. I know that there's some controversy about gluten and whether people should be gluten-free or not. There's two different camps. Some people say you don't need to avoid gluten, and then some people say that you shouldn't. So I don't really get too much in the mix of it, but only about 20% or less of people actually are either suffering from some sort of you know, gluten-related disorder, whether it be insensitivity or intolerance or celiac disease. So it's not even half of the population, which if you look at the marketing for gluten, you would think that everybody was intolerant yep. to gluten. Everywhere is gluten-free sections in the grocery store and at some restaurants, you have gluten-free clearly marked on the menu. Which is, it's just interesting to me. So I think it's kind of a fad right now, the gluten-free. Uh, gluten is very, gluten is vilified. People yeah, hate gluten. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so can you tell us one success story of uh, just a really good patient that you feel like you really impacted with a holistic lifestyle approach to controlling a disease state, either someone that you've encountered maybe in a hospital or in primary care um, that you feel like was able to make some good lifestyle changes and really change their yes, life. I've had a few patients that have, have changed their diet and had some really good results. Okay. Um, one patient that I will share is a lady who had come to me as a very uncontrolled diabetic. Her hemoglobin A1C was about 11 or 12, and she was newly establishing with me. She had been kind of going somewhere else for medical care and whatnot. And so she was on the standard American diet, right? Eating maybe one fruit and vegetable a day, eating out fast food every day, drinking sodas, not exercising, and she was a smoker. Okay. So I watched her over a period of months and gave her one thing to do at a time. So the first thing was to eat one vegetable with every meal or try for two. And when she came back a month or two later, her hemoglobin A1C had improved. And then next we worked on cutting back on the pork because that was very difficult for her to do. And um, she wasn't overweight, mind you. She's a type 2 diabetic, but she was not overweight. So weight, huh. yeah, that was interesting. So weight loss wasn't something that she was trying to achieve. But like I say, she was uncontrolled diabetic. So over a matter of six months of working with her, we've taken a stepwise fashion to it. She was able to come from a very uncontrolled diabetic to being a controlled diabetic where she was only taking one oral medication, whereas initially she was taking insulin and two oral medications. And she was so happy and so excited. Wow. Really glad to share in that with her because medications interact with each other, I'm sure, as you know, and people often report side effects. And sometimes in healthcare, we kind of dismiss it and minimize it. But these side effects affect the patient's life and it bothers them. So I try and get people off medications actually as much as possible. So she is one story that just came to mind about somebody who changed their diet, didn't become fully vegan or plant-based, but still had remarkable results. And I still would consider that a win. So I just say that to say that it's not an all or none. You know, I feel like some of the people in this community 
some of the other physicians act like everybody has to be vegan and everybody has to be vegan today. I do not feel that way at all. And so you're going to get results eating more fruits and vegetables regardless of, you know, how fully you go with it. And everybody's different. So everyone has to decide for themselves what changes they want to make depending on their schedule, their life and their finances. I agree with you completely. And also it's not feasible for us to encourage every single patient to become vegan, but it is feasible for us to encourage everyone to eat more fruits and vegetables. So, right. Exactly. That's awesome. I stories like that or having patients, those kind of patient successes, it's kind of what makes your job worthwhile when you have all these patients all the time that are so uncontrolled. And then you have one patient that you're like, you are doing great. (laughs) Can everyone be like you, please? (laughs) Yeah, it's so rewarding. And it's so nice to see someone who, who wants to be healthier because yes. not everybody wants to be healthier. Some people are okay with taking medicines and they're so used to being sick. That's just their new normal. So they've accepted it. But it's nice when you have someone that doesn't accept that as normal and who's motivated to do something different. Right. Yeah. I heard a statistic the other day or maybe not a statistic, just kind of an anecdote about how we are so overweight and so sick in this country that people are just dying slowly of chronic conditions for the last 20 years of their lives. And people aren't even able to enjoy, like you, you are done working and you're supposed to be in the years of your life that you can enjoy living, but you're so sick that you can't even enjoy it. And it's sad. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yep. So my final question, which I ask all of my guests is if you could Um, Just give us your one health and wellness tip that you think that everyone should incorporate into their daily living. What would you like us to leave with? Oh, that's easy. Eat more plants. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so simple and straightforward, but that really is. Uh, That's mine too. (laughs) Everyone to do. I love it. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Bringman, for joining me today. So where can our listeners find you and where can they get more information about you? So listeners can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Plant Based MD. I also have a website blog, theplantbasedmd.com. So they can reach me out on any of those social media platforms and follow me. Awesome. And if you are interested in finding a plant-based doctor, you can go to plantbaseddocs.com, right? Yeah, plantbaseddoctors.com or plantbaseddoctors.org. There's two of them. Okay. Well, there's a it's a good um, database of healthcare providers that promote plant-based eating. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved our conversation. Um, it was great meeting you. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye.